All right. So Liz and Al and I are here. And today we're talking about self-driving, or at least I am. I found a lot of good self-driving stories. So um, a group decided to test Tesla's self-driving and some other ones by the American Automobile Association. They drove these things in like a parking lot. And then they had like a fake uh, mock-up of a car coming right at you for a head-on collision and a bicyclist crossing the road. And they found that it plows into the bicyclist uh, I think all the time, yeah, it hits a third of the bicyclists, but it plows into the oncoming car 100% of the time, all three cars. Um, so that's reassuring. And uh, this is what I've heard a lot. And then there's, they have a video of a guy at a Tesla store. And I think he might be a Tesla employee or maybe it's someone else testing the store, but they just pull out of the Tesla store. Uh, this is at Vice Magazine, uh, yeah, vice.com. And they pull out into traffic and he says, you watch how it, it waits for the light and it moves through the cars. And then when it pulls back into the Tesla store at the end of an eight minute test drive, it just waits in the left lane and then pulls right into the front of an oncoming car for a head on collision. And the guy grabs the wheel and says, oh, that wasn't right. That was scary. So it's amazing how much this self-driving does not work. Um, however, uh, the police have noticed something, which is what I've noticed in my neighborhood. Every time I drive anywhere within a block, I pass like five of these self-driving cars going by with the rotating Dalek top on it, taking pictures of everything. And they're everywhere around here in San Francisco. And the cops have noticed, and they are now getting all that data. They're using them as surveillance. Not that they're working on surveillance. They're just contacting the self-driving car companies, some of which say, oh, yes, we cooperate with law enforcement. We just hand over any data they want. So they have like video capture of everything everywhere as these cars go by. So they're using it like they used the ring doorbells a while ago. And uh, then there's one where you don't need high tech for this. This is a video um, floating around the Internet of a woman at a Chick-fil-A who gets really mad and gets out of her car at the drive through to argue with the, um, the teller. And her car ends up in drive and the car takes off and she chases it and it goes, crashes through trees, goes in the road, gets hit, gets totaled. And, uh, you know, so that's the kind of thing that made me feel like years ago, self-driving would be good because it couldn't possibly be as stupid as real people. But I was wrong about that. It seems to be as stupid as real people. Anyway, um, there are many companies authorized to drive self-driving cars all over San Francisco. So, um, be careful out there. Anyway, and then Alan has got uh, Catalonian stuff. Yes, and this is a big follow-up on the story that I talked about a few weeks ago in which the New Yorker reported on a um, big investigation by the uh, Citizens Lab at the University of Toronto that was looking into Pegasus malware that had been installed on 60 plus um, Spanish legislators' phones. Uh, this was a big to-do in Spain, and it's still a big to-do in Spain. In fact, the intelligence minister of Spain just resigned as a result of all of these revelations. Oh. So, uh, but there's more to the story, of course, and the OCCRP, the Organized Crime and Corruption Reporting Project, has just come out with a story about the Catalonian independence movement and Russian interference. This is a, a big, big follow-up on the, the surveillance story. It turns out that the Spanish government, which again, as I just said, 
had been surveilling over 60, uh, 60 Catalonian uh, politicians may have ha actually had some grounds for conducting the surveillance, even though it's highly problematic for a democracy to be surveilling its own politicians. Well, then what but, they've said, right, is that they're, they're terrorists. Isn't that what they say? Well, yes, they're terrorists and all that. Mm -hmm. um, and some of these uh, figures, political figures, have been sentenced to very long terms in prison, like 15 years. So we're not talking about just minor house arrest here. We're talking about 15 years of hard time. Mm -hmm. But the OCCRP in this report has found that a certain Russian diplomat uh, or intelligence agent operating under the guise of a di diplomat by the name of Nikolai Sadovnikov was in contact with Catal Catalonian political leaders and that he made a, he offered, didn't make, but offered a big deal with them. Uh, he offered to give the Catalonians $500 billion in aid. And he offered a military force of 10,000 troops to support Catalonian independence. And that um, the, the only promise that the Catalonian uh, authorities would need to make in, in, in kind was to uh, turn the state into a haven for Bitcoin. You know, I, I just, that number really bothers me. I mean, for only 40 billion to the Ukraine, and they say the entire Russian military budget is 60 billion. How did they believe that anybody has 500 billion to give them? Right. So the Catalonian leaders did not take this all that seriously. Yeah. Or at least they didn't agree to anything. Yeah. Other than to continue uh, being in contact. So they did continue corresponding with this guy via Sadovnikov, via text. So um, just how serious these offers were, just how substantial they were, that's open to interpretation and speculation. Although apparently the Sadovnikov figure, you know, he's not just some rogue uh, figure. He, he really is a government, uh, Russian government employee. He does control some companies in Russia and he does supposedly have the ear of the Kremlin and he might have a pretty close relationship with Putin as this report details. So it was a substantial and meaningful offer in some ways. And uh, it's certainly consistent with Russia's um, greater campaign to sow discontent and discord in Western European democracies. That much, uh, that much I agree with, but I'm, I'm, I guess I'm just uh, a numerical guy. That 500 billion keeps bothering me. That would be yeah. a huge red flag. Nobody that, could it, possibly be offering generous. that. That, that's insane. Russia doesn't have that much money. No. <laughs> I no, would, but maybe maybe this could be 500 billion in some kind of obscure cryptocurrency. That, that uh, would be more like it, like yeah. 500 billion Terra Luna, net value 10 cents. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah. All right. Well, it continues to grow. And then Elizabeth has got Thanos. Yeah, this was an interesting story that came out in uh, Bleeping Computer um, yesterday. Uh, and it was about the uh, Thanos and uh, Jigsaw ransomware. Um, and it, it was a release by the US Department of Justice that 
came out that said that this this 55 year old ca cardiologist in um, Venezuela uh, created and rented out uh, Jigsaw and Thanos to ransomwares to uh, cyber criminals, which pretty interesting. This guy, uh, you know, was still still taking care of of patients, but he also <laughs> made this uh, huge hugely popular uh, ransomware uh, tool suite that he actually had, like he was running a licensing server uh, for it. Uh, and uh, which they mentioned was in North Carolina. I thought that was interesting um, considering he's based in Venezuela. Uh, but uh, he, <laughs> he ran an affiliate program with this uh, which I thought was pretty Im impressive. Um, and uh, yeah, so not, not the typical, um, you know, what did Donald Trump say? 400 pound hacker living in their parents' basement. A uh, little, little different this time. I know. I mean, I read a book years ago called The Internet Fraud Casebook, and it was very interesting because the people who commit fraud are not necessarily the stereotypical suspicious people you would think at all. I remember the one that stuck with me was a woman who works at a company and started embezzling the money and then got in the habit of embezzling more and more money and then became um, a huge charitable person in town working at the church, donating to the library, donating to the opera, everybody loving her because she was a generous philanthropist and she was stealing all that money. But she was like a pillar of the good society and helping people at the same time. It's not at all easy there's not like a type you can spot who's going to commit no. crime. And this was interesting too, because, you know, considering this guy's profession, he's probably really not hurting for money. Uh, he's got dual French and Venezuelan citizenship, uh, citizenship, you know, apparently enough leisure time to develop uh, ransomware on the side. I mean, it's it's yeah. just very interesting. He, he did, did mention in here that he seemed almost proud of the way his uh, tools had been used in the attacks. Uh, and the DOJ report mentioned that he even linked to a news story about an Iranian uh, state-sponsored hacking group's use of Thanos to attack uh, Israeli companies. So, you know, he may have just, who knows, it's fascinating, but he may even be one of those people that's just interested in the in the notoriety or you know becoming an invisible hand that moves things is just very fascinating or yeah, start would, hunting and profiling yeah it would be nice for like a psychologist to explain the motivation of these people because they don't seem to be uh to, i'm sure they have some way where they're the hero of their own story but from the yeah. outside it's hard to understand how you would you figure that out right and it doesn't seem like like the ones that are doing it for the money are easier to sure understand right and I, th I think probably more honest yeah and i remember all the uh, politically motivated um anonymous groups in like the 2011 2012 they always had these rambling crazed screeds explaining how they were saving the world by ddosing people and stuff they right. made some effort to like make themselves into the good guys anyway so um i was very impressed with the Rachel Maddow show, which I often am because it's a history lesson. And so the latest one, which I linked to here from last night, she started in like the early 1900s, 
with the Dixiecrats, who were Democrats then, espousing the race, the uh, replacement theory, why we had to stop black people from moving into white neighborhoods because they would replace the white people and end democracy. And she had decade after decade, many, many people with this same story. And now, of course, the king of it is Tucker Carlson imitating Donald Trump, pushing the idea that Democrats are importing immigrants into America because they will, of course, vote Democratic, which is, by the way, not true, but anyway, um, and it's all a plot to replace the white people. And this is exactly what caused the shooter who just shot up people in Buffalo. He published his creed, which said, I'm doing it just because they're replacing us. And that's motivated an endless series of terror attacks going back for at least 100 years and probably quite a bit further. It's all a continuous line of people repeating the same stuff. The only thing that is amazing now is how extremely popular it is. Now, one third of Americans believe this stuff which is, I think, certainly not normal at all for the last 50 years. I'm, once again, it's very much the sort of uh, level of this craziness that I think well, you'd have to go back to the Civil War to see this. And um, Fox, I thought it's funny, I subscribed to DJTJ's, Donald's son, news source, MXM on my phone, and it popped up, why are the liberals falsely accusing us of promoting this replacement theory? And encouraging shooters, we would never do anything like that. And apparently Fox is now trying to pretend they didn't do anything like that. So I thought I would play this uh, little, well, I have a one minute video, people may have heard it, but if not, it's interesting to hear, if I can find it, um, thought it was that one, let's see. Yeah, here we go, this. Well, all right, I guess I can't find it in a hurry. There, there's a, oh, here it is, yeah, okay. Um, just the, the New York Times recently had a story showing like the 600 times that Tucker Carlson did this. Now I know. And here's one minute of it. Ebert's on Twitter become literally hysterical if you use the term replacement, if you suggest that the Democratic Party is trying to replace the current electorate, the voters now casting ballots with new people, more obedient voters from the third world. But they become hysterical because that's that's what's happening actually let's just say it that's mm. true let's say that again for emphasis because it is the secret to the entire immigration debate demographic change is the key to the democratic party's political ambition in other words you're being replaced and there's nothing you can do about it so shut up <laughs> i mean they're trying to change the population of the united states and they hate it when you say that because it's true our country's being invaded by the rest of the world from the state on account that the country is being stolen from American citizens as we watch. In political terms, this policy is called the Great Replacement, the replacement of legacy Americans with more obedient people from faraway countries. So anyway, uh, they're, they're trying to pretend that never happened, which I imagine will work because uh, ever since Trump got in, it seems to be perfectly fine to just completely lie about what you were on tape saying yesterday and nobody on the right cares. But anyway, uh, it is certainly the case that they're promoting this stuff and it's having a lot of bad real world consequences. Anyway, Alan has got inflation. That would be interesting. Yeah, there's been so much talk about inflation and well, and for good reason, because we're seeing levels of inflation that uh, uh, really haven't, we haven't seen in over 40 years at this point. And so like the economic- Yes, right, which uh, led to his uh, getting voted out after only four years, which is something that Joe Biden should keep in mind. Yeah, Joe the, is not doing much to save himself. Well, there's some things that he could do better, and there are some things that he has no control over. 
And inflation may well be one of those things that he has no control over because in this blog posting by Josh Bivens at the Economic Policy Institute, uh, an economics think tank that is uh, generally labor aligned, um, Bivens outlines how corporate profits are actually disproportionately responsible to these, this great rise in inflation and not rising labor costs. Part of the larger narrative in the media has been that labor costs have been going up a lot and have been responsible for driving much of this inflation along with various supply chain issues. But according to Bivens, it's actually not labor costs, it's corporate profits that are responsible for this great rise. Um, and so he, he contrasts the 1979 through uh, 2019 average of growth versus the 2020 uh, quarter two through 2021 quarter four growth, uh, both in inflation and costs. And what he finds is that um, uh, non-labor input costs rose by 26.8% on average between 1979 and 2019, whereas they rose by 38.3% in 2020 through 2021. And unit labor costs rose only 7.9% uh, during the pandemic versus uh, over 61% in the 79 through 2019 period. Whereas corporate profits uh, have increased by over 50% during the pandem pandemic versus only 11.4% during the 79 through 2019 period. So he makes a compelling case here that in fact, it's the corporate profit that are going up rather than the uh, uh, labor costs. And uh, that labor costs, yes, are going up on a nominal do dollar value, but that's perhaps in response to the loss of purchasing power that's come about because of all this rapid inflation. And uh, in Bivens' defense, um, corporate profits do seem to bear out this argument that uh, in fact, many companies are seeing record profits now, um, even though their sales haven't necessarily gone up by much, if any. And this is across the board. It's, it's through many different sectors of the economy. It's not just the uh, tech companies, for example. If their sales aren't going up. How did they get more profit? Well, but they the prices. increased their, okay. the prices. Okay, well, but see, the, the whole point of the free market is then a competitor should appear with a lower price, right? Yes, and actually I'll be talking a bit more about this in the third item for yeah. today, my third item, which is baby formula, right. and how in many industries we've seen great consolidation. And right. so we no longer have real competition. We have monopolies, duopolies, or oligopolies in which you have just a few actors, a few companies, they make the market. They are so powerful that they make the market. Um, they don't really have any competition, meaningful competition. I've got a great example. In fact, I just, it's interesting you brought this article up, Alan, because I, I just read a article a couple of weeks ago in the uh, San Jose Mercury News about uh, PG&E, 
And uh, I pulled up the stats from that as we were just talking now. And uh, so PG&E uh, is our electrical, gas and electrical utility provider uh, in, in this part of Northern California. We, there is no alternative. You have to buy your utility, your power and your gas from them. Um, and uh, so interesting thing about PG&E is their, their bills have just shot up over the past year. I mean, they have, uh, grown exponentially and they say oh well you know sorry customers um the price of uh of power of energy has has gone up and so we're just passing that cost on to you um well, they're also passing on the cost of uh of uh, lawsuits and uh inflated overinflated executive salaries to us because it's very interesting to note in this article it's mentioned that uh uh, in the first quarter of 2022, uh, the company generated uh, $4.16 billion, which is up 22.5% from the same quarter in 2021. Their gas uh, was up, uh, their gas uh, profits were up 24.1% uh, uh, from the same quarter last year. So, so this is Elizabeth Warren is the one that wants to do something about this stuff. Her and Amy Klobuchar, I think, with uh, with anti-monopoly actions. But it doesn't look like it's going anywhere. Anyway, good. All right. And uh, then we got Liz with West Bengal Police. It looked like Alan was, uh, Alan, it looked like you were going to say something. Oh, are you done? You were muted. Oh, no, I'll save my comments for my third item about okay. baby okay. formula, which has everything to do with the corporate profits. So you're going to blow away the invisible hand of Adam Smith, aren't you? Oh, you know, Adam Smith and his invisible hand perhaps get a bit of a bad rap. Uh, they've been appropriated. Okay. By the bad hands. All right. Well, go ahead, Liz. Uh, so this was kind of an interesting story that I just kind of, I stumbled across about how, uh, <laughs> you know, a lot of the time you'll see these, or I enjoy watching these, uh, these scam baiters on YouTube, um, because they can just be really, really entertaining. Uh, these scam bagers will just waste these scammers' time or, or get them in trouble, get their Swiss bank account shut down, stuff like that. Well, I never really thought that they would have much influence over getting down a whole scam call center shut down, but one of them managed to do that. Uh, and I, I was really surprised by this. It was a... Uh, one of those call centers that had been operating um, for 12 years already. And uh, somehow this guy managed to uh, get the, uh, the West Bengal police in India to shut down this call center. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. As a form of investigative journalism, I guess. I guess uh, I I was just kind of surprised because usually you know they they have their scam baiting videos and and it's sort of a you know a, an ongoing war between the two sides but nothing ever really happens in terms of law enforcement so it's kind of yep. interesting yeah very good all right and I got a few short ones I was amazed in Russia everybody 
in tech is leaving the country, of course, like crazy, because being in tech, they can see news outside Russia and they understand what's happening in Ukraine and how Russia is going, just becoming North Korea. So there's clearly no future for a tech career in Russia. And they're all leaving. So they're getting desperate for IT workers. So now they're going to rent criminals in prison to come work on your IT. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> they're going to have the forced labor of prisoners of convicts to build IT. So that sounds pretty wonderful. And um, a student asked me this. He said, if you turn off your phone, it's not safe, right? And I said, well, technically, there's a little bit left on. And so somebody did this. Researchers found that even when you turn off your phone, this is another uh, article from Vice, it leaves on Bluetooth low energy for very limited features. And somebody actually found a way to exploit the phone using Bluetooth low energy, although this is a proof of concept demonstration that requires you to have previously rooted the phone and installed malware on it. And you're just sending some signals through the Bluetooth low energy. So it is not a practical risk for people to worry about, but it does show, of course, that even when you turn your phone off, it's not completely unreachable. Um, only if you wrap it in tinfoil or pull out the battery, would it really be 100% safe from an attack through radio frequency. Um, and uh, the last one I had here was one from Brian Krebs, where it was reported to him that the Drug Enforcement Agency, um, somebody hacked into it. There are law enforcement portals available to make emergency requests for data from companies that do not require a subpoena saying this is an emergency like a kidnapping or something and you have to give us your data and they will comply and apparently lapsus the famously low-tech gang but run by teenagers that use techniques like just paying people for the name and password they got a name and password for these portals and they can issue these urgent law enforcement requests and apparently they sold this for a cheap price to people without realizing what they had. And uh, they said the, the experts involved said, you know, if you sold this to the Mexican cartels, they would pay a lot for this. They could totally track down their enemies and they could post fake reports to get people arrested or killed or something. And um, but apparently the people that hacked in didn't understand how valuable it was. And the uh, another interesting fact is that these portals, which are highly dangerous, are not protected by two-factor authentication. All you need is a stolen name and password to get in. So uh, that's cheerful internet news for you. And then Alan's got uh, your next story about the baby formula. Let's hear it. Yeah, so the baby formula has been very much in the news because uh, babies aren't getting the food they need. There just isn't enough formula to go around. Um, and uh, this is a very serious health problem for a lot of kids out there, I should say babies. Um, the problem is that a particular manufacturing facility run by Abbott Labs, which is apparently responsible for a big chunk of their capacity, their production capacity, has been shut down by the FDA thanks to contamination. And um, this has uh, led to a number of ripple effects uh, and uh, has damaged the supply chain. So as I've been teasing previously, this is an excellent illustration of just how corporate consolidation and oligopolies or duopolies in this case have led to uh, problems in the supply chain and problems with food security or other forms of security in the US and beyond. Abbott Labs and Mead Johnson together control about 70% of the American 
baby formula market. There are two other companies that account for about uh, 20% more capacity. So four baby food companies or baby formula companies are responsible for 90% of all baby formula in America. And apparently the FDA makes it very difficult for other companies to enter the US market because of various labeling and manufacturing requirements. But those onerous requirements have not been enough to prevent Abbott Labs from operating a factory that for many years was uh, apparently in violation of manufacturing standards, at least according to a whistleblower. And this uh, article in foodsafetynews.com details that at length. Um, this is not a new problem with this factory. This factory has been having issues for years. The company, Abbott Labs, and the factory management has known about it for years and most damningly have actually systematically uh, falsified their records and tried to cover up malfeasance and tried to shush any potential whistleblowers, including the whistleblower responsible for this complaint. Um, among the innovative uh, schemes for suppressing um, good auditing of bad practices, uh, apparently the company's been relying on paperwork rather than computerized records. Uh, this makes it easier for them to not keep good paperwork, first of all, but also to make bad paperwork or paperwork showing that they, they know there are problems just disappear magically. And so there's a lot of missing uh, paperwork associated with in-house audits and such. And uh, anyway, this, this is a good illustration of just how a company that has a dominant market position and that doesn't have much incentive, apparently, to uh, improve its manufacturing capabilities or its capacity because the number of infants in the US is pretty much static from year to year. There isn't much population growth in the US. And so th they treat this factory as just an opportunity to make a certain amount of money. And if they can skimp on certain uh, manufacturing costs like maintenance, then they can make even more money. And so that's where, what brings us to this current shortage where um, the FDA closed down this factory because so many kids were getting sick with bacteria. And it wasn't a large number, but uh, these are potentially lethal infections. And this factory has clearly got its share of problems. Well, you know, I, I read the punchline within the last 24 hours, they reopened the factory, making an agreement where they promised to like clean the stuff and stop infecting it. But it didn't sound like there was any actual real inspection or enforcement. It's just a response to the huge pressure to deal with the shortage. Right. And I think it was more a political decision than anything. The factory yeah. isn't going to be coming online for a few more weeks, though. And product isn't going to be reaching shelves for at least another couple of months. They did say they're going to be subjected to regular inspection of the product to see if it's contaminated, which apparently they weren't before. <laughs> yeah, the the last big uh, audit was in 2019 by the FDA, apparently. Yeah. And um, the uh, the management of the factory were apparently very pleased that they were able to pull the wool over the eyes of the FDA inspectors. They used a number of tricks, apparently, to do this. Hmm. So it's... Um, 
it's not very encouraging because it sounds like the factory, among other things, has a, a culture of, uh, of uh, rule breaking and that's not going to change. Well, it looked to me like most consent decrees, they promised to be audited and have punishment if they do it again. So I guess that's something. All right. And Liz has got iPhone malware. Oh, well, we already covered this. Oh, one. The I didn't see it. It's the same one I had. Yeah. yeah. If you, know, if you had anything more to add about it. No, it's not, it's not a real threat, right? No, it's theoretical, but it is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I've had students that were worried about it. Okay. Well, I guess that's it for this one. And we'll be back on Friday.